0: Hey everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Voice podcast. Emily, welcome back to the show. Two years later, here we are. Thanks for
1: having me. I'm excited about this.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. Um, your last conversation that you had with me uh, ended up getting like 150,000 people uh, tuning in, which is pretty crazy. So it raises the question, number one, why don't you have a show? <laughs> when's When's your show dropping? <laughs>
1: Uh, My best friend and I have talked about starting a podcast, but we are both in school right now, essentially, and um, she is mothering three children, and my husband and I started our own home business last year, and so we're kind of drowning in responsibilities right now, and we haven't uh, gotten quite to the point we can commit to another thing. Another
0: thing, yeah, very fair, very fair. We did on the last episode have a couple questions that people dropped. I didn't pull all of them because there were a lot of comments, but there was a couple, like I guess loose ends I wanted to tie up uh, just before starting this conversation. If you haven't listened to that last episode, you probably should before this one because you're going to be lost right. Some of this conversation. Um, but uh, first and foremost, someone said we used a lot of abbreviations and they're like, we need a glossary for all of this. So just really quickly, um, what is IFB? I'll cover that. Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. If you're listening to the show, you know what that is. But what is ATI and what is IBLP? Because I feel like we're going to say that a lot throughout this conversation.
1: Yes. So, IBLP stands for the Institute in Basic Life Principles. And this was an organization created by Bill Gothard. Uh, Originally in the 1960s, I believe it was called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. And then got changed to IBLP. And that is the, that is, no pun intended, that is the umbrella organization. <laughs> um, and underneath that, he started an additional part called ATI or the Advanced Training Institute. And that was the homeschool side of the ministry. And so that is um, the part of the organization that produced the wisdom booklets, which was the homeschooling material. And um, participants in ATI would attend annual homeschool conferences where they got a week long of intensive training, sermon, sermons, messages, etc.
0: Right, right. Um, someone asked, and I'll just group all these questions together. Someone asked at the end of the episode we did last time, Bill Gothard, there was a lawsuit against him. Um, people asked, what was the result of the lawsuit? Where's Gothard now? Did Gothard die? Like all these questions <laughs> related to his current status. Where is Gothard right now as it stands? Is he active doing anything? Is he still around? Is he chilling on a beach somewhere? Where? What's his current status?
1: Uh, He lives in what used to be his parents' home um, by himself in Chicago, and he is no longer the president of IBLP, uh, although he will tell you that he's going to be reinstated very soon, Hmm. within months, as he's been saying for the past several years that he's going if he reinstated it. You think that's time.
0: possible at all or no?
1: No, I, I don't. I do not believe that it is possible. Hmm. Um, he has started his own little offshoot ministry. Um, that is a bit bizarre where if you, go, if you go on his website, you can read more about it if you dare give clicks. But <laughs> essentially... Uh, He's produced several, he calls them books, they're really like just booklets, mostly pictures. And um, if you commit to his new program and you read all 30 of these booklets and then you commit to meditating on a passage of scripture every night as you fall asleep, if you do that and track your progress and turn it into him... Um, within the first year you will get an honorary bachelor's degree
0: Very nice. and
1: that can move on to a master's and to a doctorate and a PhD within just four years. Wow. Um, so yeah. And he says, you know, adulthood starts at 12. So he's given out PhDs to, you know, 12, 16 year olds hmm. for studying the Bible.
0: Very nice. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. So people can check out our <laughs> Beautiful website. Um last uh last two questions. Someone said, Are the Botkin sisters related to this movement? Does anybody know them? I don't know who that is. Um,
1: um are they-, they are related to Vision Forum okay. with Doug Phillips. Um gotcha. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know that the Botkin sisters produced um certainly a DVD, maybe a book. I can't quite remember, but I know they produced materials with Vision Forum and Vision Forum sold those.
0: Okay. And last question, which I thought was very ironic where can people hear your full story?
1: <laughs> Pretty much our the the, first episode. The episode they commented
0: yeah. on. I was like, if you watch the whole thing, you'll get yeah. most of it. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, um, if you want to continue to hear updates about my journey, um, it's through my social media, Thriving Forward. I do both Facebook and Instagram. Um, and um, I, I do have various podcasts. I'm trying to create a full list where you can listen to every interview that I've done in the past few years. And my story doesn't change. It's pretty much consistent through every interview.
0: Right. Well, your story is obviously still going and you're still talking about this. You mentioned your social media pages, which have grown a ton. People are listening to your story, hearing your insights on all these developments and uh, the IBLP world has, you know, kind of seems to surface and go back under depending on what's happening in the news. And a lot of times that tends to tie into the Duggers because they're the most well-known people who've been involved with IBLP and ATI and all of that world. So when Ginger Duggar came out and announced a book and released that book in January of this year, it was in the conversation everywhere all over again, um, specifically because she was mentioning Gothard by name.
2: I've written a book. It's called Becoming Free Indeed, and it is my story, my journey of disentangling faith from fear. I first had the idea to write this book back in 2017. Jeremy and I had just attended a conference in Big Sandy, Texas, for an organization called Institute in Basic Life Principles. While there, I saw dozens of people I'd grown up with, friends who like me, had come to Big Sandy every year to sit under the teachings from a man named Bill Gothard. But for every old friend that I saw that week, there was one or two who I expected to see who wouldn't show up. In the coming months and years, I'd start to hear stories of those friends and I'd find out that some of them no longer wanted anything to do with Christ or Christianity. They had rejected everything they'd been taught about God the Bible, and the Christian faith. And while that's not my story, I'm a Christian who loves Jesus and wants to follow him. I have, like those friends, rejected much of the teaching I heard for many years.
0: When you first heard her announce her book, what was your initial reaction, aside from I'm going to have a lot of content to go over over the next next year or so? Mm -hmm.
1: I was very pleased to see it. Um... I was, I was a little, hmm, I was a little surprised by the mixed reactions. Um, It's understandable, but I was from the beginning supportive of her speaking out against Gothard and thought it was an incredibly brave thing to do. Um, There are areas I wish she would have gone a little farther in, but Mm -hmm. considering um, this is her first time really publicly coming forward about her stance on the issue. I think she did well with it. Um, and I did a brief interview with um, a reporter with the Julie Royce report and gave my um, support of the project, right. um, mostly because you have to realize the immense risk that she was taking in going public and what what she stood to lose and what she probably has lost. Mm-hmm. And I would love for people to keep that in mind and to maintain some compassion. Um, once you go forward with something like that, once you pull the trigger, there is no going back. And I know what that's like when I went public with my story, not only against what what happened with my experience with Gothard, but also being sexually abused by my father as a child. When I went forward with that story, I paid a pretty big price and I lost family relationships and friendships. And those are never going to come back. And I still deal with the grief of that. I I had a conversation recently with a family member and I was sharing some of the grief I felt over some of these lost relationships. And their response was very in line (laughs) with with Gothard, essentially, well, you know, um, this is what happens when you when you speak out on certain things, and that sh- and you know, the fact that you've lost relationships just shows that you should have never done this. And I said, no, no, no. I have zero regret for coming forward with my story that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have grief over the price that I paid because of it. So I feel for ginger. In that fact, she seems very um, secure in her decision to come forward, but that doesn't mean that she is not experiencing levels of grief for the price that she is no doubt having to pay.
0: I was disappointed by both reactions that were extreme, which was like, um, she shouldn't have wrote this, and she's in no position to write this, and she you know all of that side of you know she's still in a cult, one cult to another, all those kind of conversations um and then on the other side, it was you know this is it, like she's dropped the hammer on this, you know, and this is like the be all end all like and I found myself kind of in the middle where, like you i I kind of saw both sides where it was like, I don't know if this is gonna be necessarily the book to end all books on this topic. And I don't know that she's even like at the right state, you know, whatever, where I really want to see her insights is like a couple of more years down the line. But, you know, but on the other hand, it is incredibly brave and people can say what they want and say, well, she's in MacArthur's world, which is very similar. And, you know, we can talk about that. I agree with that statement. But for me, when I left the IFB, it was like, the independent fundamental Baptist movement. So nobody comments about it. When I left the IFB, like me listening to a MacArthur was like a huge deal. Me listening to a Mark Driscoll, which is every year that goes by that becomes worse and worse that I jump straight to that. But like all those people that I wouldn't associate with now were stepping stones out for me. So I can look at someone like a ginger and go, this is a step in her journey. It's not the final destination. Someone said, what's that final destination to be? I don't know what that is for her. I'm just saying that was what it was for me. Like if someone had met me seven years ago, they'd be shocked at the people that were like healing for me to, to listen to. Same.
1: Same. And I have, um, it's been two months since the book released. I listened to the entire audio in one day, the day that it released. Um, And I, I showed support from the book um, in the week's, before it released Mm -hmm. um and then i have stayed silent since i actually read it um for very pointed reasons and uh it's not that it was it's not that i was very disappointed in the book there's a lot that i really appreciated about it Mm -hmm. but when i first showed my support i i was a A little surprised at the amount of flack that I got because of her current association with John Mm. MacArthur and Grace Community Church. I understand. And for those that follow my page, hopefully you have grown to trust that I am not a supporter of MacArthur. I have been public about that, too. I, I am not in support of the Volo's association. With GCC. Mm-hmm. That saying, I feel like I'm holding two different realities in my hand because there's that, but then there's also the reality that I do support her speaking out against Gothard. And I mm-hmm. like the way she did it in the book for the most part. And I think she yeah. did a really good job. Um, so I felt like conflicted. How do I see this? And eventually, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that I can hold both of those, those realities mm-hmm. at the same time because. For somebody that grew up in Gothard's movement, that world is a black and white world. And you are trained to believe that you cannot have any kind of support, association, show love, any connection with anybody that doesn't believe exactly mm-hmm. the way you do. And I am trying to learn how to navigate a gray world where there are there is a mix. No. It's not so black and white. And I can say... I support this side. I don't support this side. And I think that's that's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to pick. I don't have to pick sides. Yeah. Right,
0: right. And and again, yeah, you can you don't have to be a fundamentalist in any regard, which I notice a lot of people leave fundamentalism as we know it, but then adopt another fundamentalism, which is you don't agree with my stance completely. Like there's people who legitimately I don't think will be happy until she renounces Christianity as a whole. And, and I think there's people who.
1: Those comments too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Of like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I used to be, you know, I I am still a, a Christian and, and a follower of Jesus. And I've been told that, um, you know, oh, give it time. Like, oh yeah, I right. believed in Jesus for a while after I left, but give it time. Like you'll eventually, yeah. I, I personally don't think I will, but I don't think it's fair to tell somebody Mm-hmm. That they think that's where your final destination
0: right. is. Based going. on their final destination. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and the arrogance to know what our final destination is. You know, like I, you know, I've, I've been very open about my, and I feel like I've had to be, cause I've been open from the beginning. So it's like, at what point do you stop being open? But it's one of those things where I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm 28 years old. I'm not anywhere near where I'm going to be when I'm 72 years old, you know? So like, there's a lot of room there. And, and again, like the arrogance to say, we've got it all figured out at any point is what gets us into a lot of trouble at the first place. So, um, you mentioned
1: that we can't work with one another or learn from one another because you and I are at different points in our journey too, but overall we can support each other's work and platforms, because mm-hmm. we have the same end goal. We want to right. end abuse in the church.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a pretty good baseline common ground approach there. Um, speaking of approach, you, you mentioned her approach in the book. It's something where, again, like with everything I can go, there's things I like, things I didn't like. But one of the things I really appreciated was twofold. One, she's very upfront at the beginning of the book to say, this is not a tell-all, it's a theological, uh, I think she said personal theological memoir is how she described it. It is very much what it is, like it or not, that's what it is. And I appreciated that she didn't string the reader along, like waiting for the, here's the juicy detail. Like she says at the beginning, this is not what it is. Um, And then she went through, I think, And she named Gothard more than I expected, honestly. I thought she would just mention, I grew up in a very strict background, or I thought she'd mention him in passing. But she really goes and picks apart specific things he taught by name. Um, What did you think of overall the approach of the book and the way that she went about kind of sharing this, this story?
1: Yeah. So what I liked was that she went so detailed and... It's really important to understand how author got his message across. He got it across mostly through stories, and we don't even know if those were true stories. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um and so he would he would make a statement on something he personally pulled out of the air, whatever his belief was grabbed a couple of very random, highly cherry-picked scripture verses to support his idea, and then would tell a very compelling story that would drive it home and um, really played with your emotions. And one conversation that I've had with individuals that are still within the system to a degree, and even some of my own family members. I have been told that there's really nothing wrong with the teaching. It was my interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. And I've been told like, I sat like somebody else is telling me, well, I sat under the same teaching. I sat under the same seminars that you did. And that's not what I walked away with. And that is devastating as a survivor to hear, because that is putting everything on me. I was putting all the blame on, well, it was your interpretation and you like put this crazy spin on it. And I first found the book validating, um, in that I agree with everything that Ginger described as far as her takeaway from what Gothard was teaching. The fears that she had, the struggles that she had, I had all the same ones. And that's not the first time I've been validated like that. Um, in the last several years, I've been in, um, private support groups for ATI survivors. And that's one of the most beneficial things about being in those groups is we can all say, Hey, did you grow up with this belief? Or were you, you know, did you think this was going to happen? Uh, for example, um, most um, ATI survivors, I would say, would agree that they were afraid. If for for women, if they went to a, if they went away to a four year university, that they would be raped because they would not be living under the protection of their father. I doubt that that teaching is explicitly written out in any of iblp's material however that point was driven home many times through stories um and so it's really it's really helpful to have these conversations with with other survivors Mm. and realize that oh they got that too Mm. like maybe it's not written out but they thought that too And so that wasn't me putting a crazy spin on it. That was definitely the point that Gothard was trying to make without actually explicitly writing it down. So I found Ginger's book um, validating and personally for me, but then also just very helpful in that. She explained um, she gave many examples of the stories that Gothard told. So here's like the actual written down teaching here's the story that Gothard tied with it and then here's the takeaway that he wanted you right to get from it and she was able to put all that together in a way that i i think will be helpful for those who still want to say that the teaching wasn't that extreme
0: right well that's something interesting you hit on that i didn't even think about in preparation of this episode but in one of the recent episodes I did, I reacted to a sermon that was taught. And one of the things I wrote like on the first page of notes is like, there's what he says this is about. And then there's the context of everything else he says. (laughs) So it's like how he frames what he's teaching is everything. Um, and in the context of that sermon, um, the, the evangelist that was talking said, you know, um, today we're going to talk about, uh, I forget the exact wording, but he said like." he was talking about abusers within the church largely and how to deal with it. And the first sentence out of his mouth was, don't you just love everybody? And the way he framed it basically was like, if you have an issue with anything I say from this point on about how to deal with restoration, forgiveness, like you're, you got to go back to, do you love everybody? Do you care about everybody? And so the way he frames that entire sermon is what sets the tone for like what you're taking away. So If you go back, and this is the fallback for everybody, I never said that. I never told you that. I never said that Mm -hmm. verse means that. But if you take the story they tell, that's what they said. Like that's what they were trying to get across. And so I love that you mention the way that Gothard would frame these teachings is what makes them so toxic. Like the way they were applied, the verses by themselves, maybe not. The diagrams by themselves, maybe not. But then when you take it at face value beyond just the words, like, There's a lot of toxicity in that teaching.
1: You know, I I may have mentioned this in our first uh, discussion together, but at least for a time, there was a rule that you could not give out IDLP materials to a non-member. That was for a reason. They didn't want you to just have the workbook. They wanted you to have the workbook in your lap while you listened to Mm -hmm. 60 plus hours of instruction. That's what they wanted.
0: We mentioned, obviously, the way that she broke down the teaching, which I think she specifically uses exact quotes, breaks down how it was applied, things like that. But one of the flip sides of it not being a tell-all is that we didn't get to see that natural you know, application of that teaching within her own home. And honestly, one of the takeaways I think I had, you had, many people had, was she's very light on her parents and her family and how they utilize this teaching. And I mean, her parents weren't a small part of it either. It's not like it was a side thing. Like they were speaking at certain events for it. I mean, they were big advocates for this type of teaching and that really doesn't get mentioned much within the book. Um, How did you think about that balance of like explaining the teaching and also talking about its ramifications on her actual life and how it was used within her home?
1: Yeah. It's one of my biggest criticisms of the book is that she did not give her parents enough credit. Uh, meaning, um they were the ones that were taking all their kids to these seminars they were enforcing this teaching within their home, and um it's again something that I related to within my own family, where certain individuals uh again want to put the blame on me that this was just my interpretation um and that they were just doing, um, they were doing the best that they could with the information they had and they thought they were doing what was best for the family and, uh, you know, they listened to these teachings and didn't get any of this. Um, parents have a responsibility for the information that they pro- they provide to their children and she did not um, include any of that perspective in the book really just put it all on gothard but who brought gothard into that home
0: and beyond the home into the homes of many presumably hundreds or thousands who were obsessed with their show and saw them as their christian role models and christian rock stars basically in that movement i mean the amount of people that probably enrolled in similar things or the exact programs is probably pretty large. Like I have to imagine.
1: And I have deep compassion and understanding for where she must be. Um, I doubt she wants to completely burn certain bridges. I get that. Um, I understand how tricky that is. I understand that there was a lot about her childhood that she loved and I can see the same thing with my story. There's a lot mm-hmm. about my childhood. There's a lot about my homeschooling that I loved. Um, but that still doesn't negate mm-hmm. the fact that Jim Bob and Michelle were the ones that brought this dangerous material into the home, were promoting it, were using their children to promote it. Right. So much responsibility that they should take, even if, uh, see, the thing is, the thing is, even if you didn't intend to harm someone, mm-hmm. when you find out that you did harm someone, you still have to take responsibility to right. make it right. Yeah. So you don't have to intentionally maliciously inflict pain upon someone to have taken responsibility to say, I was misguided. I was wrong. I was doing the best I thought I could, mm-hmm. but that still wasn't enough. And my actions harmed you. And take responsibility for that. That is ultimately what parents of ATI families need to do. And it's mm-hmm. it's a pretty rare thing to do. They want to justify their actions. They want to say they had the best intentions. Great. You had the best intentions. Their children's lives were still severely damaged. And parents need to take responsibility for that. Um, similarly, she does not discuss Josh very much Mm. in the book at all, which was my next question. (laughs) I completely understand that has got to be an unimaginably traumatizing.
0: And thinking, I mean, (laughs) thinking in terms of writing the book was probably very, like it was fresh, even with release, like of the book. I mean, it's gotta be even more fresh while writing the book as the
1: I listened to an interview she did this morning, and I believe she said she was writing the book when they were waiting for Josh to get arrested. Wow. So he hadn't even been at that point. And so, yeah, I just, I can't imagine all that heartache mixed into that situation. But while she didn't, she hasn't, while she didn't speak a lot about Josh in the book, she's been asked about Josh in nearly every single yeah. interview that she's done in the last couple of months promoting her book um for obvious reasons that mm-hmm. she's been asked that um and um she struggles with the questions obviously deeply painful for her but she her kind of pat answer is well yes my brother is proof that um following legalism is is dangerous and mm-hmm. that you can um you know say the right things and pretend that you are following these teachings or you're promoting these teachings but still have a very wicked evil heart mm-hmm. in the middle of all that and i i guess i can agree with that but again she's completely leaving out her parents responsibility mm-hmm. in that mess And they did not do what was needed to protect their daughters to deal with a predator in the home.
2: And and I understand because, you know, the first allegations come. It seems as if the family tried to move past it, right? Mm -hmm. Then Josh Duggar is charged Mm -hmm. with the child pornography. And Mm -hmm. then he is sentenced and he is in jail. Mm -hmm. So every time you try to move on, there was another, as you described, a bomb exploding. You talk about praying for him. Mm And it's interesting because the book is about faith and fear, but you pray for him now. What is your prayer? Mm. Do you see him as your brother? That's, it's really tough. Um, I think that walking through such difficulties um, time and time again, I think for me, um, whenever I walked through that, It's something that I would look at and say, "Okay, my first off, my heart just breaks for the victims and their families, and that's who I pray for, even first. And, um, and I just, my prayer for my brother would be that he would have true transformation and change that can only happen from the inside out. And I think part of this story I'm telling is you can't put up all of these outward standards and rules and say that's gonna do anything. It's not. Your your heart has to be changed from the inside out, and only Jesus can truly change that. And that's not something I saw in my brother. He's not truly changed. And so until God does that, it's only work God can do.
1: And this isn't just past. I mean, we can we just look at Michelle Duggars letter of support mm-hmm. that she wrote to the judge when we were awaiting for we were waiting sentencing for Josh. Several family members wrote letters to the judge asking for leniency. And Michelle Duggar was one of those individuals and yeah. wrote on behalf and asked for mercy for her son.
0: I, I I agree with all the takes obviously on the family side. The Josh side is something where when I was listening to the book, I was waiting to see if i think everybody that picked up the book was probably waiting to see if that would get mentioned and honestly that's the one area where like if she hadn't mentioned him at all i would kind of understand just because it's like
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, it, just putting myself in her shoes like i don't know that i would have mentioned him i don't know if i would have been able to write the book at the time you know um but you know i think it's good that she did Again, I would like to see in a couple of years what she would have to say about it. Cause I think even asking her in an interview right now, it's probably you're probably not gonna get the I guess polished answer or the 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 really thoughtful answer right now. It's gonna just be raw. Um, I think mentioning the abuse of Gothard and everything I thought was really great that she added that in. Did you feel that she spent enough time on the crimes? of Gothard of the of the actual lawsuit side did you want to see more of that um like because i guess that's where you know you mentioned earlier like the idea of like someone could read it read the teaching and say well that's not that bad if you don't take it in a bad way but there's been so much legitimate abuse that's happened in the name of this teaching and i feel like it was kind of a footnote at the end of the book whereas I almost wish there would have been more examples of like, this is how this was applied in numerous situations. Even if she had said, including in my own family situation, how they dealt with this, including in people that have been well-known news stories. Do you wish there'd been more of like the real world examples versus the, the teaching coverage?
1: On one hand I do, but I also completely understand why she didn't. Um, She's wanting to keep things extremely factual Mm -hmm. and, um, we did not go to trial with mm-hmm. Gothard. He has never been convicted of of any crimes. So um I I am supportive of the content she did write. I wish it had been more mm-hmm. and I wish she had gone more in depth on the various allegations, but they are just that. They are allegations, and I can right. understand why she wouldn't want to put those in a book versus if he had perhaps been convicted of actual right. crimes, she may have, um, gone more into detail of what those were.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, circling IBLP when I first reached out to you, um, there were a couple of things you mentioned. Um, one of them was her, she uses the language of cult, like a lot, um, versus calling it a cult. This is a conversation I think is maybe semantics, uh, for a lot of things, people always go, why do you call this a cult or why do you call this cultish? Um, What was your issue with her calling it cult-like versus calling it a cult?
1: I mean, I I personally stand by it's a cult through and through. Um, It's it's a little irritating, again, understandable, because um, at least in an interview that she did, um, she said, well, I'm not an expert on that. So I Mm -hmm. don't, she didn't feel qualified to name it. So she's being very careful with her language and usage. And I can respect that. Um, at the same time, it's difficult as an ATI survivor to not take a little bit of offense on that and say like, yeah. it was a cult. Just say it.
0: Yeah. 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 The, the cult conversation is always interesting. Cause I, I, I've gone back and forth on it, but at the end I of the think, day,
1: <laughs> I think the word cult has become almost too scary. Mm-hmm. Um, we started out decades ago where you thought of cult and you instantly thought of drinking kool-aid you know in a mass suicide attempt or not attempt mass suicide and um that has really changed thankfully our definition of cult has grown um as it should and the understanding of a cult has grown um and i mean that's it it's grown in the way that it should have Right. Um. But I think that certain individuals are still afraid of using the word "cult" as if that is too damning of a word and too extreme. And if it was really a cult, then you know certain things would happen. Like cults are way more common than you would think. Right. We do have various guidelines that will help you determine what is a cult and what isn't. Um, and I think it's totally okay to, to use the term more often than we tend to.
0: Right. Right. And I, I like, like Stephen Hassan uses like high control groups and and things like, I think that's a good definition, you know? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where like it, I don't know if we need to tiptoe around calling it what it is at this point. And I think she, everything she says is like, yeah, that's a cult. <laughs> like what you're describing is a cult. Right. So um, I think,
1: yeah, the question would be why, why are you afraid to use it? Yeah. Which, yeah why but- and, and also there's there is, at least from my experience, it takes a while sometimes to be able to call mm-hmm. it a cult. Um, because there is a level of personal shame and embarrassment, even though it's not really valid it's not valid shame but it's definitely some level of embarrassment admitting a level of culpability right what's so special about hero
2: Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to 11 grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious
1: serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just
0: $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. Whether you
1: were racing it from birth or not, you know?
0: Yeah. I, th- I think like the Goodwill reading of that is it's, it's that. It's like, was I in a cult really? Um, you know, do I want to make it sound worse than it was? Like all the things that have gone through my mind when I use that. Verbiage and then, like, the and also, I think for people who are in it, who I think, I think really her target audience is people who are in IBLP that will she knows will read it and she wants them to adapt their religious beliefs to be less IBLP esque. Like, that's kind of who I felt the target audience really was. Um, I think using that language would maybe alienate those readers. So, like, I read it kind of with that intent i assume that intent behind it you know yes. um
1: very good point
0: i you know the the bad intent reading would be like oh she doesn't she still has enough ties to that world you know like what I'll, I'll, again all the things that you could look at both ways but i i kind of just took it as how i feel which is like i don't want to alienate the people who might pick up the show or listen Definitely. you know um exactly
1: because they just you use such strong language eventually certain individuals just just going to write you off completely. Won't even right.
0: Give you need right. the time
1: of day to listen to your yeah. story.
0: Right. Well, I mentioned target audience. I was reading the book and did not feel like target audience <laughs> for the book. Okay. Um, okay. I, I'm one of the things that really, um, and again, like everything I say, like I appreciated so much. And then there were some things that just really rubbed the wrong way. And one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way was, you know, we mentioned earlier, like. I did leave Christianity. So like I reading the book, I felt she basically mentions people like me <laughs> um, in the book. And I feel like she really goes hard after the deconstruction crowd. She mentions like, I think the only one she mentions by name is Josh Harris, which I thought was really interesting um, that he was the only one that really got mentioned. Um, But she really goes hard after like, this is not deconstruction. This is, Uh, I think she said disentangling or disentanglement from this kind of belief. Um, And I really felt like it was just odd to position where it's like, if you are a deconstructionist, this is not about, (laughs) you're not doing the right thing. This is what I'm doing is the right thing. Um, Every
1: person that deconstructs walks away from faith entirely. It's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So to me, that was like what felt kind of, strange to me and it felt like kind of like a weird footnote to a lot of sections of the book was like just to be clear this is not what i'm doing you know this is not what it what it is um why do you think that approach was taken or that specific is it is it just to dispel kind of the rumors about her like i know she mentions the free ginger movement which i thought that was the best section of the book was her talking about the expectations of others on her because i was like ooh, that's really good to remember but i just was kind of confused as to why she so clearly was like this is not the audience for this (laughs) this is not who i'm talking to
1: i mean deconstruction is not a dirty word (laughs) it's but i think um i think she's She wants to separate herself and make it very, very clear.
0: She's not Josh Harris.
1: (laughs) She's not Josh Harris. She's not walking away from her faith. Um, and I, I I disagree, um, on her stance between deconstruction and disentangling. I, I like the word disentangle. I think it's clever. I think it's a good word picture. Um, I, I I even like, how she's kind of described getting putty out of your hair is her <laughs> her description. I can't remember if that's in the book or
0: it is. Yeah. said that in interviews in okay. The
1: yeah. So yes, like I think that's great, but you also don't have to hate on the word deconstruction. And they're they're this they're the same thing. They really are. Yeah. Um to and and um some individuals when they deconstruct, they end up where she did. Mm -hmm. others have ended up in um other um avenues of faith and others have walked away entirely like all of it yeah is part of deconstruction i don't i i do think there was error in her stating that she believes everyone who deconstructs becomes agnostic yeah or, you know, completely walks away. I don't agree with that. I'm comfortable with the word deconstruction. Yeah. Um well
0: and I know many I feel like most Christians I've had on my show <laughs> are comfortable with saying that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's just taking apart what you believe and seeing what is legitimate and what's not. You know, and I yeah. think that's that's really the premise of her entire book is like, I'm picking away. Like you mentioned the putty in the hair. I'm picking away at all the things that don't belong there. Yeah. And right now this is where I am.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a word that's forgotten and an important part of deconstruction is reconstruction. Mm-hmm. It's not just about tearing down. It's also about rebuilding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did find, I, I disagree Um. that deconstruction always means, Moving toward agnostic, I don't agree with that.
0: Right, right. Well, it all goes back to what I said earlier. It's there's a naivete in everybody who, um, everybody who says like they know where they're at is where they're going to be forever. <laughs> like it's just not real life. Like especially because you know most of the audience of my show is like twenties, thirties, forties, like that perfect middle <laughs> ground of life. And it's like when I see people say. Oh well, when she gets to where I'm at, she's finally there. It's like probably not. You're probably not even where you're going to be uh, in a ne- in the next couple of years. Um, speaking, of, oh sorry. Yeah.
1: I I think she's been out long enough to where she's earned the right to tell her story for where yeah, she. Currently I agree. Is. Yeah, that's another criticism that I've seen is that oh she's she's. She's so young and she's just a baby in all of this. And, she, you know, she's she should not be speaking out because she hasn't been out long enough. I disagree. Um, I mean, goodness, we she started questioning things in 2015. I joined the lawsuit in 2015, but I didn't actually start deconstruction deconstructing until 2017. Yeah. So, you know, she's got about eight years on her so far. And- I was a
0: missionary in 2017.
1: So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's- so, but I it's totally one of those. I think it's fair for her to be able to speak. And I agree. It's probably not going. Hell, oh, I don't want to say that. I'm not saying she's going to completely walk away. Um, I'm not saying that at all. Um doubt that she's going to believe the exact same things that she believes now mm-hmm. 20 years from now. Yeah. Like I hope she doesn't. I hope I don't. Like that's that's the goal is that we're always learning and growing yeah. and changing. We don't want to become stagnant.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that I like I said my favorite part of the book is her talking about being on the show, which obviously is like I think for anybody who's been fascinated by them, that's the interesting section. And I'm interested in like filmmaking. So like anytime she talks about camera crews, I'm like, yeah, dialed in, let's talk about this. Um, But one of the things that she's talked about is like being such a public figure. You have people creating Reddit groups saying free ginger, you've got people creating Facebook accounts. And every time she walks outside with pants, there's like a USA Today article about it. And so she doesn't have the privilege of a private deconstruction. like any sign an extra piercing in her ear is going to get an article about it. And um, there's going to be a billion YouTubers saying, look at what she did. This is her saying this to her parents because she wore pants, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's one area where, again, on a much smaller scale, like I resonate and you probably resonate with this as well. Once you step your toe into the content creation side, which she was kind of stepped into it by her family very early on. But once you start publicly saying, Hey, I think this, every step you make after that, you feel this obligation to be public and say, I said this, now I believe this, or I thought this, now I think this. And so, yes, I, I said earlier, like, I would have liked, I'd like to read her book in 20 years to see what she has to say. I think I'd be more interested in that kind of retrospective kind of look back. But I also think, You always have the right to tell your story at any stage. (laughs) Like nobody should be gatekeeping you and saying, after ten years, you're allowed to write a book or you're allowed to start a podcast.
1: Exactly. Like when 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 are you suddenly allowed? When have you grown enough to where you're allowed to tell your story? Yeah. And she does have much more pressure on her because of being thrown in public spotlight at such an early age. And not only, I think, does someone. Um, who lives a more public life. Do they feel the obligation, but you've also got the consumer Mm -hmm. who feels the entitlement to your life and your story and the updates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially your life. Like that's the part that I think really, um, that was meaningful to me in the book where she said, I, she basically said she appreciated that the people who were doing this free ginger movement were, misguided in a lot of what they were saying and what they assumed that she was feeling, but she understood that because they felt like they knew her after all these episodes and felt like they knew her, they was coming from a place where they actually wanted her to be doing better. And in their perception, mm-hmm. the things that they were saying were the better route for her. And I, I thought that was really good. Um,
1: I she was very gracious about
0: it. Yeah. I thought so as well. Um, it, now the, I think the biggest thing everybody especially with the timing of the release of the book and controversies at Grace Community Church, (laughs) a lot, I mean, very interesting timing. Um, I I mean, the biggest critique I think overall on everything was you went from one cult to another, you're in another environment that does not speak well of women. Your MacArthur specifically over the last four or five years has just gotten atrociously bad with a lot of things he's been saying from the pulpit. I, I mean, what do we do with that? <laughs> um, and there's also been a lot of to-do about the co-author of the book um, who is very active with Grace Community Church. And a lot of people are saying he wrote the book, she didn't write it. I don't really buy that he wrote the whole thing. Um, I fe- It feels like it's her voice. Um, I think he probably stepped in the way she said he did to kind of help with some of the theological side. Um, What's your kind of take on that? Is that a reason to say instantly, you know, okay, we're not going to read this. This is coming from the other side of enemies. Like, how do we, how do we approach that? Um, What's your kind of take on the grace community angle of this? Cause it is, it's a hard one to go. Like you saw this in IBLP. Why don't you see this here?
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, it's, it's difficult and I've had to kind of learn how to hold both realities and be supportive of one thing while still, um, not showing support in other areas. Um, For those who are not familiar with this situation going on uh, at GCC, um, probably the best places to start, I believe Julie Royce with the Royce Report was the individual who broke the story about Eileen Gray. And that was in March 2022. So you can see her article there. Um, also in March, she did an excellent podcast interview with Sarah McDougal, and that, um, broke down the situation a little bit more. Um, but then in, was it Christianity Today? Um, about a month ago, uh, so February, 2023 is when, um, they released an in-depth report about the various stories, uh, of victims coming forward from GCC. And it's essentially multiple women over the last 20 years, um, have come forward. They are victims of domestic violence and they went to GCC leadership requesting support, um, and guidance. Some of these ladies had already filed restraining orders against their abusive husband. Um, in the case of Eileen Gray, he was sexually abusing their children. He was physically abusing their children. Abusing her, and so she filed for separation. She made a police. She filed a police report, um, and uh, filed a restraining order. And when she went to GCC leadership for help, she was reprimanded and told that she was um, out of line and she was not being submissive. She needed to take back the reports and go and live with her abusive husband again. And this has happened multiple times to multiple individuals. So we've got a serious problem here. We've got a documented pattern of over 20 years. And according to the Christianity Today article, um, GCC leadership and MacArthur himself have been approached Um. Asking them to retract their statements specifically about Eileen um, and asking um, them because they they excommunicated her from the church eventually. And then her husband went to prison. He was convicted. And yet, even after that conviction, they did not retract their statements and they did not show support. So that's in a nutshell, everything that's going on there. I think there's going to be more to come um, in the coming months and and years. And I really, I really hope it all blows up. Um, But it's very, it's very difficult uh, to figure out where the Volo's fit in all of this. Because they haven't made any public statements about this, yeah. they've never been directly asked. What is your opinion on this? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know, and I don't think it's really fair to speculate exactly mm-hmm. where they are. Because they, because just because they've been silent on the issue doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, do or don't support the victims. We don't know. I can say that I've spoken to various survivors who have been in churches where they started to see major red flags and they didn't leave immediately because they had made certain obligations to that church. I'm not saying that this is a situation going on either. I have no idea um, where the Volo's are at with this. Um, But I, I do encourage people to keep a little bit of an open mind realizing that there may be. Hmm. certain reasons that we are unaware of why they've continued to stay we don't know if they're continuing to stay long term um
0: my pushback on that would be i mean they obviously are aware because like they don't live under a rock and everybody everybody knows about the macarthur situation especially the people there because they've been open about it not being a big deal <laughs> at MacArthur's church, yeah. uh, especially people like Phil Johnson have been very outspoken, which I always look at Phil Johnson. Maybe this will be funny to people that don't, uh, that actually know Phil Johnson, John MacArthur's kind of relationship. Like I always look at Phil Johnson as like John MacArthur's anger translator, like Key and Peele with Obama. And like Obama's very poised. And then you have like this guy just like going on rants on the side. Right. Like Phil Johnson's been going after people on Twitter going like, you, you're you raising red flags about nothing. It's clearly not nothing. An elder that was there for many, many years left over this. Like It's not a small issue. Um, my thing is, I do think Ginger and uh, Jeremy have a responsibility to not be silent about it because yes. they've been vocal about everything in the past. I do agree for certain membership, and I do agree that... I'm not one that says you have responsibility to speak out about every specific case that's not related to you. Like not everybody needs to have the voice podcast. Not everybody has to have a blog. Not everybody has to have like a, a Roy's report. Like that is certain people can manage doing that, have the energy for that, you know, all that kind of thing gets said here. But with how publicly connected they are to Grace and with how publicly outspoken Ginger's been about IBLP when more of the same is happening here, it looks just from a PR level, looks very bad for her. Um, and I think just from a moral perspective, it's very odd. Now the, the thing I'll say in like the positive way of looking at this is, you know, I think again, ginger, like if I'm, all I can do is put my life next to it and go like, what did I do in a similar situation? Even though we have very dissimilar situations, like, I went from the IFB to the Mark Driscoll world. Okay. And when I was listening to Mark Driscoll, he was still at Mars Hill. Allegations of him being being a jerk were everywhere. And people would constantly share articles with me saying, Mark Driscoll's a jerk. Here's some reasons why. And I would go, that can't be true because this is where I found all this freedom from this very toxic religious background. And um, his book, Religion Saves and Nine Other Misconceptions, was like a huge – stepping stone for me to where I felt like free <laughs> to use the word Ginger would use. So if I'm looking at it, I think like, again, not knowing the situation, like I have to imagine Ginger's probably going, this can't be happening here because this is like such a free place. Um On the other hand, my hope is that very quickly she will see the the time span between seeing the red flags get shorter as you go, because you start seeing them pop up more and more often. I'm hopeful that because she's, she spent 20 plus years in IBLP and finally saw the red flags, that that gap is going to be shortened at Grace Community Church. And if she does have the personality of a seeker, questioner, truth finder, I think that's going to be there. So I'm hopeful she'll see it. I think that right now, like again, I always assume the best intention of people. I have to imagine right now, it's probably, did this really happen? Is this rumors? Is it really as bad as what this was? Um, But if she is the type of person she claims to be in the book, I feel like she'll very quickly identify those issues and hopefully be vocal about them. And I hope she doesn't prove me wrong on that, (laughs) that optimism.
1: That's kind of where I was going. And I don't mean to sound um, too soft i I don't want people to make hard, fast assumptions when they haven't spoken out. I totally agree with you that they have a responsibility um sooner than later yeah. to address the issue to decide what they're going to do on this um because she has been so public um about Gothard then. Yes, I do think that they have a responsibility to address that.
0: Like if we're um, a year out from now and she's never addressed any of that stuff, then I'll probably be a lot tougher where it's like, yeah, what's going yeah. on? You know? But like no. you
1: said, I can also understand uh, where she might be at this point. As you said, you at once were a fan of Driscoll. At uh, once, at one, long one, ago for one, everyone
0: listening. One,
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. But for me, I was a fan of MacArthur too when I first got out of ATI. Oh, I jumped into a-
0: MacArthur next, so I just kept going along. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and um I think from what I've seen, at least online, is she's received harsher criticism related to this from those who weren't actually raised in ATI mm-hmm. versus those who were raised in ATI. I've seen a lot more comments of, yeah, I liked MacArthur once too. He's a common stepping stone. It was an an embarrassing
0: speed bump on the way out.
1: Yeah, that's it. And so I kind of take from that point where it wasn't too long ago where I thought MacArthur was amazing and um, thought it was so much freedom in that moment. But then, as you said, as time went on, I learned to spot red flags Mm. faster and take action sooner um so another aspect that um julianne smith from spiritual sounding board mentioned which i think was very insightful was that i think ginger and jeremy may have a level of privilege at gcc mm-hmm. that they are unaware of um they are, they do have some level of celebrity status and from how they've portrayed things, they appear to have a healthy, um, equal marriage. Um, just because you go to a complimentary church doesn't mean you practice complementarianism in your home. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Sheila Gregwire had some very good insights on that with mm-hmm. her, uh, with her book. I think it was I think it was the Great Sex Rescue. She did a um, very large survey mm-hmm. <clears throat> of Christian women, and she kind of touched on the issue of complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And those that she, she, the results of that survey showed that the large majority of women that are in a marriage where they are happy in that say they believe in one-sided submission and they believe that the man has the final say and they believe in more of a patriarchal complementarian structure. The ones that are actually happy in the relationship, they don't actually practice comp. They really actually practice egalitarian. So I kind of have that in the back of my mind. Of course, I don't know the Volos. I don't know their marriage dynamic and relationship, but I do think it's unfair to assume. Um, how they have structured their relationship just based off of yeah. going to GCC. Um, that saying, it appears that they seem to have a good relationship, and they've got the protection. I think a little bit of some celebrity status, so they are going to their experience at GCC is going to be radically different. Best
0: version, yes, <laughs> it, yeah. yes,
1: Then someone who is in an unsafe marriage and is going for help and mm-hmm. is being twice abused, you know, by um church leadership rather than being supported as a DV victim. Um I mean, So I think that's kind of important to realize that their experience is probably radically different. The things that they are, the things that Ginger shared that she liked about her church, she never mentions GCC yeah, by name. Which I did
0: think was interesting as well. Yeah. I think
1: it's interesting too. And it could have been that she was just trying to make it more generic it could have been she was also trying to avoid backlash i don't know yeah. um but the other th- the things that she's mentioned that she likes is that it is not a cookie cutter church at mm-hmm. least from her experience and i understand that because when you're raised in ati you're raised in this cookie cutter world mm-hmm. everyone looks the same literally looks the same you no. have the same hairstyles you wear the same clothes you use the same language you read the same books you listen to the same music everything is the same that's why it's a cult um and versus her experience at GCC you've got a little bit more of a, a melting pot of various um um uh every, every each individual has some variation in their stance on how they, you know live out their faith practically yeah. and some of their convictions and 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 so on and so forth. So she's seen that and that's incredibly refreshing to her as it should be. Um so I think that's kind of like where she's finding all this freedom is oh my goodness there are so many different ways that you can practice mm-hmm. your faith and I don't have to only have relationship with people who think exactly the way I do. That's great. That's wonderful yeah. insight. Well just but, the fact
0: that Grace Community Church will have a Presbyterian pastor come in and you know what I mean? Like that yeah. was the stuff to me where I was like, oh, this guy, you know, like, cause I, I when I first started listening, like it was like, oh, John MacArthur will have an R.C. Sprollen who's Presbyterian and they have a good relationship. Like that's so crazy, you know, like, and so that's all the stuff now where now I'm like, yeah, that's common sense. You talk to people that you don't agree with on everything. But at the time that was like a radical thing for me to see, because like, the idea of having two people that disagreed on baptism, like (laughs) being on the same platform was like not something that I ever would have seen.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that's her praise for her current church. As you said, they still have a responsibility to look at the very serious allegations that have come forward about Jesus. And that needs to be dealt with. And I think it's harmful to continue your association with an organization like that
0: right right it devalues your message in other areas for sure Um, and i want to be clear just to say just to be very clear about something i said earlier Um, obviously this this case is something that happened in the past before they were there and got brought up Um, and i'm not downplaying the severity of it based on the time but what i am saying is my answer of she has a response to speak out sooner rather than later would be uh, she needs to speak out immediately if she knew of something that was actively happening. So I want to be clear, if there's something actively happening, it needs to be reported immediately. If there's something in the church's past that has come out and you're grappling with that, take the time to grapple with it, figure out what that means, where the church stands now. So I just want to be clear. I wasn't saying she has an obligation to report immediately. This is a past case that kind of colors the church based on its history, not its active you know, kind of situation. I want to make sure I said that clearly. Cause I was kind of thinking through if I'm listening to this episode, am I going to go, what are they talking about? There's something happening. There's an abuse case and they're not going to speak out. I'm right. I'm, Cur- yeah. Just wanted to make sure I clarified that.
1: According to the Christianity today article, there have been um, concerning stories, very similar to Eileen Gray that mm-hmm. happened as early as 2022. Mm-hmm. There are still things going on, um, but as far as what is current is, these stories are just finally coming to public light. Right. A lot of these have been hush hush within the church, within yeah. GCC, With, among yeah.
0: elders, among yeah. the
1: elders, exactly. And so, really, the 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 main public and probably a lot of the current attendees. Of GCC are just now hearing yeah. about some of this stuff, and probably everyone is having to make yeah. a choice: do we well, do we believe this is valid or not?
0: Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I was literally going, "Yeah, I disagree with Macarthur on a lot now, but at least they don't have any abuse at the church." You know, like so. That's a conversation that's constantly, constantly evolving. Yeah, I think the most important takeaway from this episode, kind of winding down, is like this isn't final chapter. I mean. The book has a final chapter. This isn't the final chapter of Ginger's life, it's not the final chapter of any of the topics we talked about. Even Gothard's still writing his own unique story. Um, there's so many layers to all this. I think what I'm hopeful there's two ways to go with this like, with the kind of stuff I do, I think you can become very pessimistic and very cynical. Um, and I think some people will laugh when I say I'm not a cynical person. (laughs) I'm truly not. I I tend to be very optimistic about people's journeys, about the path. I tend to think that more and more people are going to find out about things and try to be better together. And that's my hippie kind of worldview on life. Um, My optimism is what I took from Ginger's book is that it was very brave. She was in an environment she had no motivation to leave whatsoever. Um, she had a TV show uh, that she could have kept pushing. She could have gone on, done book tours, writing similar things to what she taught. There's a huge audience for that stuff. Um, but she chose the path of speaking out and f- trying to seek the truth. And again, I think as she continues seeking truth, I'm optimistic that she'll start seeing other pieces of this, you know, that aren't quite right, you know she'll see things about MacArthur's teaching that you know aren't quite right or that seem very similar to Gothard's. I'm hopeful and optimistic that she'll continue on the path she's on, and like I said, I hope in another ten years, I'm reading one of her books and going, you know here's here's a little bit further down my journey. um, I don't have a completely cynical outlook on it, and what I'll just say to everybody, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show. I just told it to you a second ago when we break uh took a break, but um with everything that I say, I try to assume that people have the worst possible interpretation of what I'm trying to say. And, uh, on the flip side, I try to assume the best intention behind what other people say. Um, and I feel like if we could all do that, um, we'd all have a lot better dialogue. And I think it's just more helpful. Like for those of you who are listening to this, who are concerned that Ginger Duggar is still in a cult, like, the number one way you're not going to get someone out of a cult is by just saying you're in a cult and you're stupid. And how'd you fall for this? Um, It's going to be having productive dialogue. And for the people who are sitting there going, you know, I don't want people to keep following IBLP. Like we have to have conversations that are empathetic and again, not empathetic to the people who are truly evil and corrupt and manipulating these systems. But for the people who are just trying to find truth and trying to seek a better way to live, like I have a lot of empathy for that journey because it's one that we're all on. So um, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, it was a really good conversation. I know we could have gone a mile deep on each and every one of these points, um, part three uh, in another two years, mm-hmm. uh, but um, but I really appreciate your perspective always. And for anyone who wants to hear more from you, uh, what's the best place to do that? And you mentioned at the beginning, but if they've forgotten, what's the best place to connect with you online and uh, and see more of your story?
1: Uh, yeah, so um my blog is called Thriving Forward. So you can find me either on Facebook or Instagram. Um I do more writing on Facebook. I do have private, a private support group um, for uh women survivors. Um and that is great to have a little bit more um one on one um support, but then also that community aspect where you can ask questions in a more private area than on my public thriving forward page. And you can um, get some, some support there and ask some of those difficult questions. Um, If I can, I have a couple concluding thoughts about Ginger as well. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved your ending thoughts as well. And I agree. And again, I think back, throughout my own story. And in those first um, first couple of years, especially when it was a really bumpy ride for me. And I was very active in some of the ATI survivor support groups online. And I had a lot of questions and I still defended various things. And the communities there were so gracious toward me. And I think that's really important to understand that going through a process of deconstruction or disentangling, whatever you want to call it, it is messy. It is bumpy. And it's important that we don't discourage survivors with, um, intense criticism, just because we may be at a different place than they are. Because I I don't even want to think about what would happen if I had experienced that intense criticism and, um, been told that, um, I really wasn't any better than when I was still in IBLP because I, you know, still supported, you know, XYZ pastor that, that would have been very crushing to me, but instead I had, um, loving individuals who came around me and supported me where I was in my journey, continued to gently point me toward, um, truth and to more health, like healthier things, uh, so I think that's kind of an important perspective to take is realize that yes, we can absolutely still, um, support the victims that have been affected by GCC. We, it's important that we still take a stand for justice and for truth. Um, but at the same time, someone that's in ginger's position that is still navigating that whole world, we can still show support for where she's going and where how far she's come so far. And ultimately what she did with this book was a huge act of bravery, as I talked about at the very beginning. It definitely came with a personal cost. I don't know to what extent that was, but I know there was at
0: least family. We know there was at least some
1: yes, with family. And the fact that she she didn't have to tell her story so publicly, but she chose to um, knowing the ramifications that could happen. I think that's that's a true sign of courage. So I do still applaud her for that. Absolutely. And I do think the book is going to be very helpful for a certain audience. Um especially those that may still be defending IBLP to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think the way that she broke down the teachings is very well done. And I'm really proud of her for yeah. what she's done so far.
0: Yeah, it's a huge stepping stone for sure. I think for people in the in that world still, it's going to be a big eye opener. And, and like I said, I didn't feel like the target audience for her book. I feel like there's people who would not feel that they're the target audience for my show and the, the deeper approach on some of the heavier topics, there's certain people who wouldn't for yours. So like, I think it's great that there's the more voices that are talking about it, at least starting the conversation is huge. And I think the biggest key is like, just keep asking questions. Like if you keep asking people questions, (laughs) we're going to make progress, you know, like telling people what to think isn't always the best answer. It's like asking them why they think what they think. Um, so I, I hope people appreciated and understand, I guess, the perspective on this. I, I know some are going to, I already know the comments, There's gonna be some that are gonna go, you're way too light. There's going to be some that go, you're way too heavy. You're way yeah. too harsh. It's going to be a split of those. Um, but I hope people understand kind of the perspective and the, I guess, the optimistic attitude. I think we both have, which, um, which is just life's a journey and we're all figuring it out as we go along. Thank you for listening to the
1: preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at preacher boys doc.